Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. People notice a healthy smile, but maybe you have tooth sensitivity, bleeding gums, or acid-weakened enamel. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel are trusted specialty toothpastes created to help improve your oral health. For tooth sensitivity, choose Sensodyne. Bleeding gums, get Paradontax. For acid-weakened enamel, Pronamel is the toothpaste for you. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel. Trusted specialty toothpaste to help bring home your healthy smile. Visit Ibotta to earn cash back. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. The May 16th edition of the PFF Forecast. We have a lot of fun here. We've got um, some tweets. We've got the, a new Gase horse. We've got a column that I'm writing uh, that I want to discuss with you. Oh, nice. Uh, we have college power rankings. How did you slip that into the agenda? And then our team review is the Atlanta Falcons. So this is going to be a really special podcast. Let's rock. Betting on Maction games starting at 11 Eastern before you know it. So nope. WNBA is where I draw the line. That's true. That is, that is as far as I'll go. Next College week. football, absolutely not. Uh, our first segment here. So a couple of things if you are looking for content to consume. One of my favorite things to say, consuming content. Just makes you sound educated. Our buddy, Steve, the big guy, went on... Mina Kimes podcast is it just called the Mina Kimes podcast? It's like Mina Kimes with Lenny, her dog. Fair. I do a podcast with my dog. No, I'm kidding. Um, but when I heard that when he <laughs> when he said when he said her name and I was typing, I was looking at the mean tweets and I was like, what if these weren't just mean? They were Mina. Well, and Mina did not take the time to learn our last names on. Oh, on she set. didn't. No. I haven't. In fairness, I haven't listened yet. But uh, anyway, so. These aren't just mean. These are meaner tweets. But if you don't pronounce it, New Yorker, Mina. Okay. You know what I'm saying? You get, you get it? It's not that funny, but I thought it was kind of Okay. Funny. Well, let's see what uh, Diesel Johnson says uh, about... We can, we can just cut that part out. Uh, about uh, the, our Tampa Bay and, uh, and he had Dallas nice, Cowboys nice things to say, I'm projections. Sure. We had the Dallas Cowboys under what we uh, talked about on a... Uh, youtuber and also on a uh article he says diesel johnson says i disagree with both of these predictions unless ezekiel elliott holds out <laughs> that's a great reason I, can, can can i pause for one sec i think a singular point in nfl history is most is is one of the most responsible things for the running game truthers in 1993 emmett smith held out from the dallas cowboys who were coming off of a super bowl win mm-hmm. they went zero and two yep Jimmy uh, um, Jerry Jones t- caved, gave him his money, won the rushing title, won the Super Bowl because of Emmett. Vindication. Yeah, they had nothing to do with Michael Irvin or uh, or uh, Troy or the uh, defense. And I, and I think Dallas fans think this way. They're like, oh, unless Zeke holds out, 
Yeah. Mean, mean tweet. This is meaner, though, than the one previous. Okay. I'm going to make this thing work if it's the last thing I do. Uh, Alex Kalkos. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was Kalkos. Well, anyways, his, his uh, response to our video was just tards, period. Fair. Uh, Sam Wooten. This is a good one. You should read this one. George, two exclamation points, dude, comma, you asked really good questions, comma, made really good points, did a great job referring to your fellow co-host, get this kid with Steve, wow, what an honor, every time, Mike and Sam, Steve and George, and Solomon, the swing guy, I'm on the bench, I'm not even swing guy anymore, oh, this is, you hate to see this, you hate to see this, wow, what a mean, sending me down to AAA, what a mean tweet, um, I was combing through them. I saw that. I saw my name with two exclamation points. I didn't even read the rest of it. Yeah. I just cut it in. Look, I've been just dumped on by so many yeah, fine, upstanding people. One. Finally. So I'm having a good day. I was having a bad day earlier when I tried to pull off a joke that it wasn't a joke that I thought was funny. Didn't work. Don Mon, 808. You guys honestly sound ridiculous. Establishing the line of scrimmage is everything when two good teams are playing. Mm. Caveat. Running the ball effectively wins games in the NFL, period. Pass rushers, linemen, Mm. are also the most important players in defending the rush. Corners aren't. Everyone knows this. What? what? Brady loses Super Bowls to great D-line groups, also factual. And you're completely, uh, your, Y-O-U-R, completely ignoring linebackers is hilarious. So he said it. So I guess we should quit. So when when Nadamakan Sue, do you think Nadamakan Sue and this guy Sam, has a Patreon I can contribute to? He has that Patreon like his his Avi is Patreon colored. Mm. Um, so do gotta go find it. Aaron Donald, do you think Aaron, Aaron Donald and Nadamakan Sue go to the White House, or do you think they're anti-Trump? You know, because for beating Brady in the Super Bowl last year, being a great defensive line group, do they go I saw to it. the White House? I got that. Do one. they eat yeah. the Big Macs yeah. or do they? I don't know. We'll find out okay. soon enough, it's, I guess. It's a great moral question of our time. Uh, also, comment here from a uh, Giuseppe Banner. Everyone knows that the pass rush is more important. You guys are crazy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, those were our mean tweets. Some of them meaner. No, no, Mina tweets. Some of them were meaner than others. Yeah. Next, we have a special segment. The establishment of the gays force. This just in had to happen. <laughs> I just got it. You just got <laughs> it. <laughs> You've been talking about the stupid space force for like two years and you just got this joke. All right. I'm back on the saddle. Um, but this is interesting. You had a couple of. I didn't find it as interesting as you did, so I wanted to bring it up because I thought the points that you made were were valid and make this a, a kind of an interesting argument. Is this the optimal time to fire your GM? Right, because we've seen this happen with the Bills and Whaley with a little bit later in the year with Dorsey recently uh, with Kansas City. Um, now. We're making a huge leap here that I don't want to make, and you, you called me out on this when we talked about this privately. My null hypothesis is that the Jets have no idea what they're doing. 
Okay, but given that they have a plan here, I do think that I do think that this is probably the best time if you're doing the coach and GM change in the sense that like you still need to like scout players for the draft. You have already like they weren't intending to fire Todd Bowles last year until sure. well into the season, and so like you do want to like draft players that somebody thinks are, is good, and since the draft is so like. I mean, I, I think you just have to, like, execute it. But now that that's done, now that free agents are gone, now I think, like, as long as you give Gase a little bit of grading on a curve and in, in the sense that this first year of players is really not yours necessarily, yeah. then I do think that this is the best time relative to, you know, starting, starting over in, like, February for a draft that's at the end of April, to me, is suboptimal. So I never even thought of the draft situation. And, and probably one of the reasons I didn't is that I just – Look, I think the worst thing that you can do is have someone in the building that thinks they know what they're doing when they're drafting. So if you just pick random players off of our draft board, frankly, anyone's draft board, you're doing average um, at at worst. And so that didn't even come into consideration for me. I I don't think that's that big of a deal. The part that makes this seem suboptimal is... Now you have a, a coach that you hired with a different GM. Now, I'm, I'm sure ownership really made that call. But now you bring in a GM, and unless it's a perfect match, there's always going to be, and maybe that's what you want. The maybe tension. you want a little bit of like, you know, rivalry tension. But to me, that just seems to be suboptimal. You want those guys in lockstep. You want them to feel like one success is also your success. And the issue that I would have is that if a GM comes in, he's almost going to be like, well, look, if the current team does well, that's Gase. So I actually want the current team to do poorly so that then I can be the hero type deal. And that sounds awful. Well, at the same time, though, like Gase, unlike in his press conference, won't be looking the other way when this GM is hired. Stop. So (laughs) stop. So like he's actually going to endorse this hire probably, right? (laughs) <laughs> to some degree um so whereas like if the two guys are hired at the same time like there there's are sort of two competing things that are happening at the same time <laughs> and and so i don't know i i don't think that either one of these like i don't think that these teams have a plan except for maybe a handful of them anyway um but if we assume that they do then like this i don't think is the most egregious thing in the world people are always surprised by it but you know I think, for example, I think Buffalo, like, you know, Modulo, their quarterback choice a season ago, are doing some good things, right? And the draft, the, in the 2017 draft, like, wasn't terrible. Like, they drafted good players in 2017. We get a couple thousand viewers. How, and, and you're just going to, I mean, I guess maybe there's a good chance all of them know what that means. Look it up. It's not that hard. I agree with you. Um, here's not about the modular thing, but uh, that take in general. Would you? What would you do with Le'Veon Bell though? Now, I so new GM. You're the new GM that comes in. What are you doing? I mean, I, I would. Does he have any trade value? No, I mean, but the, here's the thing: like, he's not going to have any. He's. It's a it's a sunk cost at this point, right? And 
their their cap space was such, especially now that they didn't land Anthony Barr, their cap space is such that the marginal value of his dollars are not as much as a team that's strapped up against the cap. Like sure. You can say you can say confidently like he's not going to affect their cap significantly moving forward. Right. The the issue that I have, the the most dangerous thing about having Le'Veon Bell on your team is that he's going to require touches independent of how the game script is flowing. And that was the biggest issue when the, you know, teams had star running backs is if they had, you know, there were games where like the Gus Ferrats of the world, the Vikings quarterbacks who are horrible, would play well and Adrian Peterson would still require 15 carries, and you would like sort of lose the rhythm of the offense. Like if the Jets avoid that, I think they're fine. I, you know, it's not great. It's not a decision I would have made with my own free will. But I don't think it's something. If Gaze, yeah, Gaze has always been pretty progressive about running back usage. If that's the case, like I think they'll be fine. My argument for why you would potentially want to trade him has nothing to do with him helping them on the field. And everything to do with you're trying to build, you're struggling to build a viable culture there. And an, an, an Le'Veon Bell, who is 20 pounds overweight, who doesn't like his coach, getting paid $14 million or whatever the heck it is per year, sounds like a disaster. So, yeah, but if they ever have issues, Gase can just look the other way. Nope, you're not going to. Come on. We have to stop the podcast now. I have a, a take that I want to run by you and see what you think. So the Rams are the Houston Rockets of the NFL. Here's what I mean by that. So the Houston Rockets play a a brand of basketball that is very simple. They spread the floor. James Harden goes to work. They shoot a ton of threes. And they do the same thing pretty much every time down the floor. And we've seen them now not be able to get over the hump in in the playoffs. And similarly, I think the Rams, who really should have lost in the NFC Championship game, are similar. Not necessarily in that they're like trying to take advantage of these analytical, um, mathematical uh, edges in the game but that they are similar in that they do sort of the same thing every week. And in the regular season, it's almost impossible to be prepared for it, right? The Rockets come in and teams are just not ready for James Harden to you know, bait them into 15 foul calls on three-pointers. And the reason that I think this is interesting is the question then becomes, is there, you know, is there something to the being a good regular season team, but not being able to win in the playoffs thing. I'm just looking for where Gurley is on the Rockets. Like, is there a player who gets a ton of points but doesn't necessarily earn them? I wasn't saying <laughs> – I wasn't making that type of a comparison. Okay. No, I, I like – I mean, the people always made that refrain about the Oakland A's back when they were in the money ball phase, you know, winning – You know, Except win- that's baseball where, like, you're – that doesn't count. Yeah, but basketball is similar in that, like you do leverage the large samples, right? Large samples, sure. large samples of possessions, large samples of games, and the same thing's true with baseball. It's like the the skill set necessarily necessary to win a hundred out of one hundred sixty two games is different than winning four out of seven a few times. Sure. And the problem is, is in basketball, 
everything is really tilted towards the better team. So to be a better team in the regular season almost always gives you a chance to be the better team in the playoffs. In football, it's less so, right? You get a one-game playoff, and, and, as, and as you demonstrated with the Saints, there's uncertainty that, that can completely – like if, if the Saints and, and Rams played a seven-game series, I would imagine the Saints would win you know, a fair, their, their fair share of them. Um, but the que- I, think it's, I think it's a great comparison. I think the, question, the answer is probably going to be unsatisfying to most, most, which is if you're a Rockets fan, you just have to deal with the variance, right? You have, to, you have to hope that there is a significant number of universes where you're going to win one of these things <laughs> as a product of being good and, and, and swallow that. And I don't think that the – I think the same thing's true with the Rams. If you ran back the Super Bowl between the Rams and the Patriots, I think the Rams win – 45 of them out of 100. And so, like, that's unsatisfying to the Rams fans because that's, they lost enormously. They lost, high. they lost the okay, 40. 40 is not too high. If you ran it back 100 yeah. times, they win 40 to 45 to 50 percent of them. And to it's unsatisfying to a Rams fan because, like, they got there, right? And it's unsatisfying to say if you play these fundamentals for the next decade, you might. You're going to have a good chance of winning one. Sure. But, you know, the, the, what, what, do you, what, what would you right, suggest the Rock, as the as Well, the, the, the Rockets issue is that their, their edge is this, I'm going to shoot a ton of threes thing, and it's going to catch people off guard on a night-to-night basis. Right? The Rams thing is that, look, our run plays and our play action look the exact same, and we're going to have jet sweeps, and, you know, we're going to run all these deep overs and stuff, and, like... You're not going to quite know what's mm-hmm. coming, but and the average team cannot run with you in that. And the same thing's true about the Rockets. same thing is true about the Rockets. But a the, great team can, but like you need to have like the Rockets. The Rockets need to have more. They need to have another thing. Yeah, right. They need to have um, some some extra bullets in the. But uh, in but the are they to, afforded? Because are they afforded that opportunity? Because the Patriots have seventeen other things. And they're okay with losing by 21 to Tennessee in the middle of the season. They're okay sure. with losing by multiple scores to Detroit. Not a, and I would imagine the Rockets now have that affordability, right? They can they may only made the fourth seed this year in the West, right? So if the Rams, but in the NFL, it's sort of strange because like if the Rams mess up, they're no longer the two seed in the NFC. There's teams that are gunning for them. So like, how do you build a secondary thing in an NFL where like practice time is limited? Your quarterback is kind of limited, like for the Rams. And like, it's, it's just an interesting thing. I, you know, the, I think where the comparison breaks down is that the Rockets have a, a legitimate superstar at the most important spot for them, yeah, and the Rams do not. Yeah. Well, and I also think that the Rockets, by and large, do it. They're both innovative, but the Rockets are leveraging math in a way that, that the Rams aren't. They're just more innovative in the kind of the, the different little things that they do, yeah. you know, pace and stuff like that. For sure. Um, cool. But that, I'm curious. That's a good idea. I, I do think that that's a good comparison. I'm curious if anyone out there of the people that are now still listening, the five of you after Eric has said the word modulo, if you have any other takes on comparing teams uh, from, from different sports, because I think that's fun. Uh, let's talk real quick. The Bears uh, under and Titans under. We wrote up an article. You can go read it. On ProFootballFocus.com, but let's do this real quick. Uh, Bears nine and a half, 
I'm going to give a couple of reasons why that is too high and you should bet the under. First is defense was their calling card last season. Defense, as we know, regresses uh, or or is just not as stable as offense, likely to regress more to the mean there. They obviously lose Vic Fangio. They lose Bryce Callahan uh, and Adrian Amos. Um, So don't expect that defense to just all of a sudden be back at the top. And then Mitch Trubisky, uh, he led the league in negatively graded plays. We have never seen a quarterback be top uh, bottom five in negatively graded plays and then have a top 10 offense using EPA per play mm-hmm. the following season. Yeah, I think their schedule also offers, there's like two packets in their schedule that are extremely hard, a five-game stretch in October, November, and then the last four games of the season. Briefly, briefly, Arizona's eight-time Pro Bowl cornerback Patrick Peterson is being suspended for half of 2019 wow. performance-enhancing drugs. Wow. Yeah, Gloria High. Wow. That, uh, that is not great Yeah. So just a, for the uh, Cardinals' futures that I hold. Yeah, so just a, just a little bit of breaking news there as we record on Thursday afternoon. Um, <clears throat> Let, let's go quickly to Titans. Titans. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Titans is there's a significant number of simulations where they're the worst team in that division. And people gave us a lot of flack for saying that the, the South, when we talk about Indianapolis, mm-hmm. the South isn't a strong division. I stand by that only because I think Houston isn't as good as people think. I think, you know, Titans are really the one for me. I just don't think they're a great team. And then Jacksonville, you know, I, there's a ton of places where I think, like, Tennessee ends up being the worst team in this division. And then in that case, it's hard to get to eight wins, especially with a quarterback like Mariota. I have... Nothing more to add. I agree. All right. Uh, what do you want to do right now? Should we go to should – we, should we talk about the Falcons or should we talk about college power rankings? Or should we do questions from the dark web? I feel like we got to do a question from the dark web because our buddy Ben Baldwin decided to write an article with dark web in the title. We're getting royalties apparently from it. Uh, so That's good. look for it's going to be like one of those deposits where a, uh, like a place is just checking that your account is real. <laughs> it's like two cents. <laughs> we'll deposit two cents and then take it back <laughs> and then uh, take it back. Is it Litcoin, Litecoin? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I, this is what I wanted to talk about. And maybe there are people that are listening that will care about this. I had this idea that we do. Now it's the off season. We go back and we watch some games rewatch some games that were really interesting that at the time were a big deal maybe it's last season maybe it's multiple seasons ago um and then have like five minutes where we talk about them um if we were to start if we were to do that which would be the first game that you'd want to rewatch uh that's the a, king of rewatching games i am i am i am um this there's a couple and and they center around teams I enjoy watching. I think Rams Vikings on Thursday night football yeah. from early in the season was one. I think that was on my list. Chargers Chiefs week seven, week sixteen, yep, it's week fifteen. Um, Patriots Chiefs, Chiefs Rams. Yep, those are the ones. So we'll maybe we'll pick one next week. Um, well, actually, let's pick one now so people can rewatch it. And we'll discuss. Yeah, so let's stay away from the Chiefs just because I put them up. Let's do Vikings. 
uh, Rams Thursday night football. I believe it's week it's like four, week four or five. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plus, it's early enough in last season where people might forget about it. It was also during Goff's like unreal stretch of crazy great game. play. Uh, Cousins played terrific in that game. The Vikings defense played horribly in that game. Bury uh, the lead here. Yeah, so it'll be a All good right. watch. We're going to watch Rams-Vikings uh, Thursday night. Go watch it, and then we'll uh, discuss next week. Questions from the dark web. Hit us. Okay, so here's one from Ken Hagen, a loyal listener and great follower. Hey, Eric and George, I have a question from the dark web. Do the Patriots successfully buck analytics by zigging while others zag? For example... Defenses build for pass-heavy teams with small wide receivers, so they build run-heavier teams with big wide receivers. Now, I don't think so. I have a strong take on this. You can go first. So I don't think that they buck analytics. I think they use analytics. I don't think it's like this machine learning type like approach that like we would. You know, I they do have some very sharp people that work for the Patriots, but to me, it's 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 exactly what he's saying in the zig versus zag thing. One of the key examples Belichick gave when he was starting out as the coach of the Patriots was in early 2000s, I think there was exactly one or two teams that ran a 3-4. And as such, Ted Washington was a nose tackle who was extremely undervalued on the market. And so they were able to get Ted Washington for really cheap and play him at nose if they switched to a 3-4 defense, and they, they did that. And that was a, like, just, it just showed that like, he is like constantly looking at the value matrix and how folks are valued undervalued and then adjusts his his you know the the year they got hernandez and gronk and then the year they got moss like they switched from inside receiver team to an outside receiver team i do think that they very much look at the league as a whole and try to look at undervalued assets by sort of emphasizing things differently they don't bucking analytics is the the wrong way to put it they're leveraging math by making decisions that take advantage of whatever weakness the defense presents or the offense presents and they do it on a game to game and sometimes a series to series or a play to play basis and that's why they are so successful the ex- best example of this is from the Super Bowl I think that last offensive or that uh, touchdown drive that they had in the fourth quarter where they come up in 22 personnel and they go five wide the ability to zig and zag within a game uh, or within a series is what I think makes them so successful. And you can't just show up on game day and do that. You have to prepare to play that way. Um, and they do a great job of that by finding players that fit certain, um, you know, certain schemes, certain things that they want to do with them, and then they know what they can do and they put them in those situations. So um, I do think that's a very interesting question. The Patriots obviously do a great job let's save this next question from the dark web for next week because it is a good one real quick um college power rankings i do not care so why don't you list them off and then we'll move on yeah so you know as as uh george says um i'm the one that likes college and so i'm the one that uh, does some of this uh and so i finished our algorithm for this year for college power rankings and it's it's interesting because I sort of looking at you know looking at various places where we differ. Um, we have Clemson one, Alabama two, Ohio State three. I think uh, LSU then Georgia. I think those three out of the first five sort of vary from 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 analyst Sorry. to analyst. Uh, 
You don't care. <laughs> so so the, here's the thing. Like my goal. So I've gotten George to care about a few things. Uh, Kepka birdie. Let's Kep, go. Kepka birdie. You know, WNBA. <laughs> George is a is a fellow uh, WNBA follower like me now. Um, but college football is going to take some work. But we'll get you. The thing I like about this is that we use you know PFF grades. Um, you know, back tested, looking at like at the college level, sort of what wins games, and it's a little bit different than the NFL. So the the algorithm is a little bit different. But then we do um, some pretty interesting regressions to sort of get ourselves to where they're at now. I think we're a little high on Notre Dame. I think we're a little low on Georgia, but uh, Clemson and Alabama. Clemson does appear to be the class of college football currently, and I don't think I don't see that changing anytime soon. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I might actually watch a couple of Clemson games because they have a quarterback that isn't a disaster. We, so. That is true. You like good football. You despise bad football, and hence, you don't like college football. I can already tell you the teams that I'll watch this year. I'll watch Clemson. I'll watch Alabama. Oregon. I'll watch Oregon. Uh, and I'll probably watch Oklahoma because I'm just really intrigued. Well, Jalen Hurts is going to be interesting. I wonder you know, what we're going to be thinking of him after a year with, uh, with Oklahoma. First round pick. Or uh, first, first overall pick. All right, it's time. It's time for the Falcons. Our Atlanta Falcons. We have to exercise the demons here. So for anyone that has not been with us since the time that we were really, really, really bad at podcasting, now we're just marginally, no, we're very good now. marginally terrible. Very good. The reason that they are our Falcons is that the Falcons have always been a team that they have a lot of very good players on the offensive side of the ball in very important positions that have performed very well, that that have graded incredibly well. And so oftentimes our algorithm has liked them, uh, whether it be against the spread or for a season. Um, and so we have found ourselves beating the table for the Falcons many times. And because it is a small sample size sport, Things have not always gone our way, but we will be undeterred. I currently own Atlanta 33-1 to to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Yeah, so their current over-under is 9, but to to bet the unders, minus 135. For once, we are sort of with the market here. Our our win total for them is 8.28, firmly in second place in the NFC South where they finished the last. Last year they finished second, the year before they finished third. There were seven and nine. We had them at nine point four nine last year, mm-hmm. um, but at the you know we were two and four picking their games. I think that the 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 toughest one was you know we backed them against New Orleans overtime loss. We had the over against the Giants was terrible, but then they gave us this modicum of hope. Right, they started one and four. Yep. They went to Washington. We had them plus one and a half. They beat the brakes off of the Redskins, and we're. Back They're in the four saddle. and four. Oh my god, I was so back in the saddle. So then the following week they went to Cleveland and they were a little shy of a touchdown <laughs> underdog. That's where it ended. And they got they lost outright. Then at home against Dallas, they started a stretch of games where they refused to score touchdowns in the first half. Dallas played like crap. They played like crap. Minus three, they lost outright to Dallas. And then lastly, and this is what this is what's great about it, uh, a dysfunctional relationship. Is in week seventeen last year we had the Falcons minus one at Tampa. They got down seventeen nothing, came back and won on a on a, a made field goal. One so we're two. we're going back. Yep, we're going back to the well somewhat with them uh, going into this season because they they allowed us to finish two and four picking their games. Um, 
as you said, they have great play- like a Ryan and Jones, Grady Jarrett, Mohamed Sanu, Marcus Trufant, Demonte KZ, Alex Mack, Calvin Ridley, most valuable players, all worth significant wins above replacement. And in their least valuable group, they've gotten rid of some of these players, right? Robert Alford's one of the you know, third least valuable player. Vic Beasley was their least valuable player last year. Uh, uh, Tevin Coleman, one of their least valuable players, goes to your team in San Francisco. Zane Beatles. So th- there is there is going to be some benefits to them getting the Ricardo Allens back, getting the uh, 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 the uh, who's the corner, the uh, safety, uh, Keanu Neal. You know, getting the uh, Deion Jones back. So I do think that there's going to be a chance for them to improve this year, uh, especially with the two uh, interior linemen they got in the draft. Well, I think it's worth pointing out that. Deion Jones was such a huge part of that team. You, you know, you don't you say a guy's a win above replacement. It doesn't always manifest itself. It doesn't manifest itself in one game always, right? Like those win shares can happen in the worst, you know, situations mm-hmm. for your team and can cause you to have this this uh, landslide of a season. And that, to me, is what happened here, right? That their season was dictated by these two slides. You know, they have that tough game against Philly. They come back and win against Carolina. And the New Orleans-Cincy games, to me, summed up their season. Mm-hmm. They fought, they fought, they fought, and then it just didn't matter because their defense could not hold, right? They lose to New Orleans in overtime. They then lose to Cincy 37-36. Like, those two games, I think, broke their spirit a little bit. And then we just, you know, they beat Tampa Bay and New York and Washington. And they all sucked. So... To me, that was the story of their season, and that Deion Jones, that, that that first game where they lost all those players, takes a team where you're like, yeah, they could win nine and a half games to be like, well, they're a team that probably is going to win seven and a half games. The, the, nothing better encapsulated the Atlanta Falcons season. Like We didn't have this as an official pick, but I knew Green Line was on the side of Tampa plus three yeah. in Atlanta. And that was a game where Atlanta won by five, but only because Tampa missed two PATs. And then Matt Bryant hit a 57-yard field goal to put him up five while having like a torn quad, and right. like and then and then Tampa tried that like rugby play and almost scored. And it's just like t- the Falcons were just so hard to predict last year, and and I think going into this and and again it's a lot of because of what, the things that we said. Offense, they're fourth in EPA per play, f- third in passing game EPA per play. But they struggled in the red zone most of the time, right? So they weren't able to capitalize on that. On defense, they were 29th overall in EPA allowed, 25th against the pass, 29th against the run. They were the defense really did hemorrhage uh, a lot of you know the the sort of yardage and the points uh, that we saw uh, a season ago because of the injuries. And so hopefully, when they get those guys back, they can get sort of met back to the middle of the pack. Two new play callers: Dirk Cutter, Dan Quinn goes back to calling plays for the defense. It'll be interesting to see. I think that Cutter did a good job at times for Tampa Bay, but in many ways he was overshadowed by Todd Monk in the season ago who really got a lot out of that Tampa Bay offense despite some poor play from the quarterback at times. Okay, here are the things that, that we need to talk about. You mentioned the new play callers. Let's start on offense. The idea is that Sark is the problem. I, I think that is an, a, a real bold statement given... Look, they were third in passing EPA per play. They were, uh, what is it? I think they were fourth overall, but fifth and, yeah, seventh on early downs. I mean, they were a top 10 offense on EPA per play, right? Yes. In the red zone, they were 
eh, at times decent, at times a disaster. But those plays are, you know, the the minority by a huge, huge margin. So, like, if you're going to judge Sark because they kind of sucked in the in the red zone in, in a couple of games, that's a really small part of the season that you're going to judge him on. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is a little rough. And you bring in Dirk Cutter, who, like, I, I don't think that's necessarily some upgrade here. So the real question to me is, okay, it's a, probably a wash. I don't think you're actually getting that much better on offense. So they don't go draft a bunch of coverage guys. They draft a couple of offensive linemen. And they don't get a second or third round pick because they moved back and got... And got uh, McGarry here. So, okay, they, they get some offensive linemen. That's great. So the, what it boils down to is, does getting these guys back from injury and having Dan Quinn call plays on defense, does that take you from 25th against the pass and 29th overall? Can that get them to 15th? I, right. And so what did we see with them in 2016 and 17? What we saw is an offense that controlled the ball, controlled pace, and we saw a defense that was more or less healthy, right? Sure. We saw the opposite a season ago in that a lot of turn, you know, some more turnovers than you would expect at times. You saw field goals that should have been touchdowns. And much like we talk about with the Bears and the, the Jaguars before them, like offense and defense, you know, sort of like the way in which a game script goes affects very much uh, the two units. And so if the Falcons offense can capitalize on, on drives, get ahead, then I do think that the defense is better. If they can control the clock, and I'm not saying by running the football, but more by like you know completing short passes by and scoring points and yeah. scoring points, then I do think that the that the defense will improve. Um, but again, they leave themselves open in many ways to what that happened last year, which is why we think coverage is more important than pass rush. If a guy or two gets hurt in coverage, you're screwed, right? And, and, and with the Falcons, you saw three guys, Jones, uh, Neal, and, and Ricardo Allen all get hurt. Um, you know, So essentially, much like for almost every team in that sort of 6-10 to 10 win band, luck is going to be a big factor for them. Yeah, it was nice. They, they were more aggressive uh, on some fourth and shorts. Uh, on their side of the field, I think they've got to press that advantage a little bit, right? Take more shots with your really good offense um, to to hold on to the ball because, you know, what are field goals doing for you at this point given the state of the defense? Um, I'm, it's tough because I'm a big proponent of if you know what you're doing on defense from a coaching perspective, you can make players that might look like a disaster be average, and that can do a lot for you. Um, so I'm holding out a little bit of hope there um, that, that Dan Quinn is the missing piece. Though I, it's tough because I always feel like you never have enough coverage players, and they didn't invest there, and they literally saw last season what happens when you don't have enough coverage players. So that's tough. Um, here's, here's a question. Would you pick any other wide receiver over Julio Jones? I would. I like. I think Julio's great for Ju- one season. Julio, who would it be? Jandre Hopkins. Okay. The, the Julio's fantastic, and there's so much. I there's so much I I appreciate about his game, and you know, um, but 
I see it as a Randy Moss, Terrell Owens comparison. Interesting. So I think I think Julio. Right. I have nothing bad to say about Julio. I just think DeAndre Hopkins is slightly better and in a and different in a good way. I think the contested catches that Hopkins can make. I think the lack of drops. I think the the ability to like so. And if Hopkins ever got a quarterback like Matt Ryan, I think you know he would be lights out and so that that's the one that i can think of off the top of my head what about you uh yeah i mean hopkins i think is the the clear choice to me though it's really about hopkins plays every snap that my biggest frustration with julio jones is that there's like a couple third downs where julio's not in the game or like you know it's a second down julio's not in the game it's like okay well why well, he, he's very um, T.Y. Hilton in this way, right? The T.Y. catch a ball, tackle, come up lame, yeah. go out of the game. Come back in. Yeah. Um, where, so then second, who would you take? In the league right now. So like Antonio Brown was in the conversation until recently, but I don't think he is anymore. Um, neither are the Vikings receivers by themselves. Um, there's a case that you can be made that can be made for uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. I think just wow. the versatility um, there over Michael Thomas, and then Michael Thomas is the one that is another one. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm taking Julio second, and I think it's a question of Antonio Brown or um, Odell. After that. I, it, to me, the other, I think Michael Thomas. You can't Thomas go wrong is, with any of those names. I sure. Think. I, I think Michael Thomas is fantastic. It's hard, though, because Drew Brees is so exceptional that you know it's hard for me to put him over an Odell Beckham Jr. who's been amazing with Eli Manning, mm-hmm. for example. Um, do you have faith in, uh, in our Falcons this year? I'm, I don't have I'm not going to invest anything on them this year. Oh, really? Um, I'm a lone well, oh, Hold on, hold on. Le- le- season long. Okay. Week one against the Vikings, they were plus four, minus oh, 110 in the Metrodome. This is right up your alley. In the Metrodome. This is right up your I alley. I think that should be more like plus three. So week one, if you want to take a shot, I think the, week, the season long stuff, I think the Super Bowl, we have about a 3% chance for them to win. We have them about eight and a half wins, so the under on nine is not a good bet, but the over is, isn't either. Um, but I think week one against Minnesota, I, I sort of want to see. I, I, I like them at, at plus four. Second toughest schedule behind the Houston not Astros. The Astros. Not the Rockets. All right, that was our show. Next week we're going to talk uh, Vikings-Rams on Thursday. Oh, wait, we've forgotten. You're right. I waited all week for this particular segment. That's right. The stories from the Cincy Y. This has been a very popular segment. Now, I have a great story for you, but you actually are the topic of the very first story, which is this morning we went to the gym. We're doing our Thursday swim, and you forgot shorts. And to borrow shorts, but you did not forget your coffee mug, which you brought with you. To, you still have it here. You brought with you to the gym. So you walk into the gym with a coffee mug. I did. And then because you're you, you just left it 
on the like towel rack in the <laughs> the locker room and then picked it up on your way out. I did this mostly to create a PFF forecast story. There you so. go. Okay, so you ready for my story? Yep. All right, so this story does not come from the YMCA. I haven't had many uh, issues at the Y lately, actually. Um, but every evening, I go to the gym at my apartment. Okay. And I get a little workout in there. Before. Work out twice a day. I do. Um, mostly because it's t- time-wise. You know, I try to be, in a f- try to be efficient here. Mm-hmm. And uh, my workouts there are pretty short. You know, so it's not really a big deal if people are in there abusing themselves in whatever way. But the nice thing about the gym in my apartment is that it's got a big open space. So, you know, there's plenty of room for a couple people that come in and do like weird yoga stretching things, but not really. So there's space for them. Well, last week I'm in there minding my own business and uh, a entire cheerleading team enters the, the gym. They're about an average age of seven. They have pom-poms. They have a boom box. They have a coach. Their coach apparently lives in my building ah, I see. and had a fob and brings her entire cheerleading team of seven-year-old girls into the gym. And they proceed to have cheerleading practice. So they've got... How mad were you? The funny thing is that I wasn't even close to the most mad of the entire group of people <laughs> oh, that were in the gym. There was one person that just got up and like stormed out. I would never do that because I would never let a group of seven-year-old cheerleaders cut Ruin my workout day. short. <laughs> that's, that's growth. That's growth on your that's part. That's never going to happen. Um, but it was, it was incredible. Just brings them in there. I mean, now... I didn't. I didn't want to be that guy, so I, I didn't really want to complain. I walked when I walked out, saw the, the our secretary, or receptionist, or whatever, and I was like, uh, "So cheerleading practice in the gym? Interesting." And she goes, "Yeah, I already heard about it." Next day, there's a sign that has age limit fifteen. Come on, <laughs> posted on the door. Which doesn't seem to really be the issue. If they were 15 or older, would not have... Actually, it would have taken up more space. Would have been just as bad. Oh, man. Here's, here's a question that I have. Because oftentimes, this will determine your response to things like this. Was the, was the, coach, was the coach fit? Not really. I mean, like, kind of. Okay, so if the coach was less so... Would you have gotten more upset? I mean, like if it was an obese cheerleading girl. <laughs> no, I, I would have. That's growth. I would not have been more upset. It, it is growth. I would have. The fact that there were other people to the right of you on the pissed off distribution was incredible. I did not expect to be the most how, pissed off. how ridiculous. The best part is. But they were taking part in athletic development. Endeavor, no, but that's you're, not even. This was the biggest joke of a cheerleading uh, 
group that I've ever seen. There was they, were they rooting for the Bengals or what? It was basically a bunch of seven-year-old girls listening to Justin Bieber songs, holding pom poms. And the best part was that each of them had a water bottle that they brought and they set up along the barbell rack. So that if you wanted to grab a couple of barbells, you basically had to zigzag in between. Uh, you had to be Belichick. You had to zig and zag through there. It was crazy. They're like running back and forth to grab water, like scurrying under people. It's the only time you ever smiled and said "running back." <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. We'll be back next week. See you guys. People notice a healthy smile, but maybe you have tooth sensitivity, bleeding gums, or acid-weakened enamel. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel are trusted specialty toothpastes created to help improve your oral health. For tooth sensitivity, choose Sensodyne. Bleeding gums, get Paradontax. For acid-weakened enamel, Pronamel is the toothpaste for you. Sensodyne, Paradontax, and Pronamel. Trusted specialty toothpaste to help bring home your healthy smile. Visit Ibotta to earn cash back. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get uniquely yours ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details.